Good evening. All right, so we'll read a little bit more from Jiva Goswami's Krishna Sandarva. We're in the section that deals with reinforcing the Parivas Sutra, Krishna Stu Bhagavan Swayam, by various statements in the Bhagavat Purana, the Srimad Bhagavatam, which Sri Jiva Goswami has already firmly established as the topmost Shastra for Gaudiya Vaishnavas. May not be for everybody, for us, nothing beats Srimad Bhagavatam. And you have a hard time arguing with the logic of our Sampradaya. I mean, if Srila Vyasadeva gave us all the literatures in Kali Yuga, wrote everything down, then went through a period of reflection and consulted his guru and 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 wanted to do a more thorough job wanted to be fully fulfilled in providing human society and he enters into a mystic trance and he sees Krishna and after seeing Krishna he's he realizes that he needs to emphasize just Krishna and all the other literatures really point towards Krishna so he 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 then recompiles the Srimad Bhagavatam, the Bhagavat Purana, which he'd already he'd already provided the Bhagavat Purana, but he recompile he redoes it with with a full emphasis on Krishna. So, and of course he gave the Vedanta Sutra, which is the which is basically a it's the essence of all the various Vedas. What's the essential spiritual knowledge contained in all the Vedas? Well, that you find in the Vedanta Sutra. So, he'd already provided a Vedanta Sutra, and what the Gaudiyas saw was his Srimad Bhagavatam was the mature commentary on the Vedanta Sutra. It doesn't get more, it's not going to be explained any more fully by anyone under any circumstance than Srila Vyasadeva himself through his, expo- his rewriting of the Bhagavat Purana. So, we're in the section of the Krishna Sandarbha where Jiva is reinforcing the Parivas Sutra, the basic key to understanding the whole Bhagavat Purana. Krishna Stu Bhagavan Swayam. It's like if you flash, if you put the, well, for us, a flashlight, a, a crystal to every single verse, to every narration, to every everything that's presented in the Srimad Bhagavatam, if you see it through the light of this one little pada, Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam, then you will see the true essence of what's being said there. So it's the key that unlocks every verse, that unlocks every narration, that truly unlocks the secrets of the Srimad Bhagavatam, which is the mature commentary on the Vedanta Sutra, so for Gaudiyas, it's it's quite we're quite content with with accepting the Srimad Bhagavatam, and uh, so starting in the 44th Anucheta, he's reinforcing the Parivas Sutra. He's basically he's looking at the Parivas Sutra as like a king, and a king, this sutra, this one king's kingly statement 
which is the topmost statement, just as the king is the is the 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 head of everything within you know within his domain. So similarly, the Parivas Sutra is the is the head of all the statements, all the narrations, all the dialogue, all the knowledge that's conveyed through Srimad Bhagavatam. So he's reinforcing that statement so that there's no question. So you have, if you have a, a king and the king goes out to protect the land, he goes out with a full army for fourfold divisions generally during the time of the writing of the Bhagavatam. Now I don't know how many divisions they have in their current armies, but back then they had elephants, they had a cavalry, they had charioteers, and they have an in, had an infantry. So he's looking at the reinforcement of the Parivas Sutra as one would reinforce a king, and it, we're in that one area where he's reinforcing the Parivas by showing us that all the major narrations within the text are related to and should be seen in light of the Parivas Sutra. So, starting with Anacheta 44. And, and who's, he's, he's brought up Vidura's questions. He's brought up Maitreya's responses. He's brought up Parikshit's questions. He's brought up uh, Sukadev Goswami's responses. He's brought up Sunaka and the Sage's questions. He's brought up uh, you know, Sutta's responses to those questions in the first canto. The first canto is just Sutta and the Sages. Maharaj Pariksit doesn't enter until the, sec- the, the questions and answers by Pariksit and Sukadev don't enter until the beginning of the second canto. Um, he's brought up Vyasa's uh, Questions. He's brought up Narada's questions to Brahma. He's brought up Brahma's questions to Krishna. So now we're wrapping up this narration. Jiva's wrapping up this. But he's already shown. He's wrapped it up very nicely because, you know, you leave the nectar for the end. So what was at the end? At the end we had what? The Chatur Sloki. It doesn't get any more condensed than the Chatur Sloki. If you look to the Bhagavat Purana, you could find all of the all of the contents of the theistic content that's presented in the Srimad Bhagavatam in these four verses spoken by. Krishna in response to Brahma's inquiries. So that's what we just went over. And now he's going on, he's going to say, there's actually another very significant, at the very beginning of the Bhagavatam, there's also another indicator that we should look to. So you look to the Chatur Sloki is like, all 18,000 verses of the Bhagavatam were unpacked from these four verses that were spoken to Brahma after his mature samadhi with Krishna. And, you know, these, these responses came out of that. And then they expanded into the full 
Bhagavat Purana, through the ages, through the sages, through the different narrations. All the details were were unpacked and unfluffed so that so that humanity at large could understand it. And then it was written down by Vyasadev so that the, in this age, you know, it could be assimilated by the people which had everything going against them. Of course, maybe not. Maybe not everything is going against us in Kali Yuga. Maybe this Kali Yuga is super fragilis whatever maybe it's super 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 significant and there's actually some indications some little hints of that in the Bhagavatam that demigods are like clamoring can I can I take birth during your during your Leela in Kali Yuga can I be part of that can I come down and you know so something very special here with Golokar Premadan, Adinam Sankirta, this this Kali Yuga. So now Jiva's backtracking a little bit, and he's going to bring in the very be- from the very beginning of the Srimad Bhagavatam the questions presented by Sunaka on behalf of all the sages. He's like the spokesperson. And he's asking Sutta Goswami, who's like, he's been elected as the Acharya of the, of the big Mela they're having there, that if anybody's going to respond to us, he's the most qualified. It would be like going to a big Mela and have all the different Acharyas there, and who would you want to speak? They would elect the person that was most qualified to speak. We know who we would have them delect, and we would be out there canvassing, you know, for the for for our for the election result that we knew would be the most beneficial to everyone in the audience, and we would win. So, <laughs> so. What were those six questions that those sages presented at the very beginning of the Bhagavatam uh, through Sonika to uh, Sutta Goswami? Very first chapter, six questions are asked. One, you should explain what is most beneficial to humanity. We're here. We can't even get our fire going. We're covered in smoke. We can see that sacrifice just isn't working for us. So let's hear Harikatha. Let's hear Leela. Let's hear transcendental knowledge because we can't even start a fire. There's not enough whatever amongst all of us here in the forest to even start a sacrificial fire. So it appears we're in Kali Yuga. It's obvious to us. Kali Yuga has now taken hold so much so that our Brahminical tejas, our Brahminical potency isn't there enough that we we can even dissipate the smoke that's surrounding us. So we have to employ what's appropriate for this age because the age, even though we thought we were at the beginning of the age, it came on so quickly that 
you know, all of our all of our Brahminical powers seem to be diminished to nil. So please, you answer these questions. So they pose these to Sutta. What's the best thing that, that could possibly be done for humanity during this time? Second question, tell us who have faith, the essence of all the scriptures by which the intellect is pleased. So what's the best thing for humanity in general? And what's the essence of all the scriptural, all the scriptures? <coughs> we have faith in scriptural knowledge. What's the essence of all that scriptural knowledge? The third question. Excuse me. You should tell us who desire to hear the purpose of Krishna's appearance from Devaki. They immediately get to, okay, let's just go to it. Let's just set everything aside. Why did, why did Krishna appear here? He just, we just, he was just here at the end of Dwarpa Yuga. Why did he appear from Devaki? What was his purpose in adventing? Um, and I mean, they're tuned in, they, and then they want to know, please describe his pastimes in detail. Because we know that Krishna has all the avatars are contained within him. So all of the, all of the leela of any other manifestation of the Supreme that's appeared in human society or in demigod society or wherever, we know that they are all contained within Krishna. So therefore, his pastimes are the, have to be topmost. Please describe the stories of those other avatars. That's the fifth question or request. And the sixth, tell us the shelter of Dharma now that Krishna has departed. But he's gone, his pastimes. The leela is over. Where do we go for shelter now? What do we do? I mean, where, what, what's going to be, I mean, we feel lost. We're in the smoke. We're in the haze. So, Vishwanath writes at the end of his commentary on, at the very end of the first chapter of the Bhagavatam, the fo following sentence. It should be understood that the answers to these six questions along with some related matters, constitute the entire Bhagavatam. This is it. Everything, this whole Bhagavatam is expanded from the Chatur Sloki, and it responds to these inquiries. So we can see what Jiva's done here. He's taken... The essence and the and the essence of the inquiry into the essence as the concluding portion of his reinforcement of the Parivas Sutra through seeing the various narrations in the in the Bhagavatam. So he's left the best for last, basically. The Chatur Sloki and the six primary questions of <clears throat> the sages of Namasaranya 
Sunaka on their behalf asking Suta Goswami. So now we go into the 65th Anucheta, which begins... I just wanted to re-cover those questions again, and now we'll begin with Jiva's presentation of those questions in the context of what he's trying to bring home in his Krishna Sandarbha. Sunaka's inquiry as to the intent of Krishna's appearance. Now we'll go back and we'll read a different English translation as presented in the Sandarbhas. Uh, My dear Sutta, please disclose to us who are eager to hear from you that intent of he whose avataric descent is meant for the protection and prosperity of all beings. Jiva then writes what's Sridhar Swami have to say about it. And he said, so he says, Swami Pod comments. And what we do find and what we need to, to see is how significant, significant to the Gaudiya Vaishnav tradition the commentaries of Sridhar Swami are to our tradition. That, you know, again and again, whoever's writing at the beginning of the, of the formation of this Gaudiya Sampradaya, whatever literatures are coming out, all of the Goswamis, Vishwanath, Jiva, Sanatan, Rupa, they are all using the comment, the Bhagavat commentary of Sridhar Swami as the core of their philosophical ideals that they're presenting. Because Sri Chaitanya said, this is, this is it. This is the quintessential commentary on the Bhagavat Purana, what Sridhar Swami has presented. And then, of course, Sridhar Swami also mixed some Advaita Vod in there, but they're careful to set that aside, realizing it for what it actually was, what that it was a, dare we say, preaching strategy by Sridhar Swami to draw in the Advaitins who were in, in abundance at that period of time and are still through to this day, although in our culture we may not be so much aware of it, uh, so much exposed to a Dwayton philosophy, but if we were in the <coughs> circles of spirituality in, in Indian culture and we were traveling in those circles and in the debates and in the, through the through the, the various you know, uh, current uh, gurus and acharyas, uh, we would see there's a lot of Dwaita Vod there. We're kind of sheltered from that to some extent, and to in some other extents, we have our own problems to deal with. <laughs> so, Swamipad comments. So, this is Swamipad comments on that verse from the Bhagavatam. The word Anga here means. O Sutta, the clause tanno nuvarniyatum arhasi, 
literally means it behooves you to disclose to us that intent of he whose avataric descent in general is meant for protection, keshmaya, and prosperity, bhavaya. So there's a little commentary here which I wanted to share with you. In the previous Anucheda, okay, 64, which we did in our last discussion, Sri Jiva established that the Bhagavan's, Bhagavat's four seed verses were spoken to Brahma by Bhagavan Sri Krishna, no other manifestation of the Lord. It was Krishna that spoke the, the Chatra Sloki. Thus Sri Jiva's Sri Jiva list of the Bhagavat speakers, which began in Anucheta 44, culminates in Bhagavan himself, and the ultimate aim of all of them is Sri Krishna. All right? Now, as a subset of this discussion, he shows that from the very beginning of the book, the principal subject is Sri Krishna alone. Remember, we're reinforcing the Parivas Sutra, showing everything's pointing to Bhagavan Sri Krishna. To make this evident, he cites the questions of Sunaka, the first student mentioned in the book. The Bhagavat as a whole is essentially an elaborated reply to Sunaka's questions. Sunaka's eagerness to hear about Krishna, as understood from verse 1112 cited in the previous Anucheda, is itself a significant indicator of the Bhagavat's purpose. And what was that? Sunaka was so overwhelmed that what? That he blessed the speaker. <laughs> blessings. Oh, Guru, please accept my blessings. <laughs> A little out of the ordinary, you know. I haven't seen it in any modern, uh, you know, meetings between disciples and the, a guru that I've been privy to in my short time here as uh, as being something that's done. So we can imagine an assembly of sages at Namasharanya and the inquirer who's asking on all their behalf is offering a blessing to the speaker. So a little... His enthusiasm was overwhelming. That's what we're to take from that. What was that verse? O Sutta, blessings to you. You know for what purpose the Lord, master of the Yadus, appeared in, De in Devaki, the wife of Vasudev. Going on to the 66th. Anucheda. Sunaka praises the power of Krishna's name. And here, what I'm going to first do is read the verses as presented in English in Vishwanath Chakravarti's Srimad Bhagavatam uh, presentation. It should be understood by us as students that. Um, Guru Maharaj inquired of Banu Swami, who did the English translation of Vishwanath Bhagavatam, how he arrived at his English translation of the verses because they seem they're so much different than 
than Prabhupada's. You know, you'd think somebody like, you know, Swami would just take Prabhupada's English translations and then go forward from those and give you Vishwanath's commentary. He says, we, you, don't, you don't really need to do that because really Vishwanath was careful to write out not only the Sanskrit verse from the Bhagavatam, but also write it out in a way that conveyed the meaning that he wanted to comment on. So in the text that Banu Swami worked from to pre present us with an English translation, it's not that you just have the, the verse of the Bhagavatam. You have that, then you have Vishwanath explaining how the verse should be looked upon, and then he comments on the verse after presenting it the way it should be seen. I mean, the Bhagavatam could be one verse from the Bhagavatam, what? How many, how many translations can there be? How many understandings can there be? You know, when we look to the, uh, the verse, uh, what's the verse? Sri Chaitanya commented on to Sarvaguva Bhattacharya. Atmaramas Chamunayo. That verse is, is, Lord Chaitanya gives so many presentations and then Sanatan, could you repeat those? I want to hear them from your, from your lotus mouth. I don't remember what I said. I'll give you some translations. Here's some other meanings of the Atmarama verse. That's one verse. First with Vishwanath's presentation of those verses uh, 14 through 16 and then we'll go on to Jiva's presentation and his little commentary on that. What person desiring satisfaction of his intelligence will not hear the glories of the Lord whose actions are praised by reputed persons whose name which fear personified fears immediately liberates helpless persons afflicted by the terror of material existence and whose devotees have been taking shelter of his lotus feet and having fixed their minds in the Lord immediately purify others of all sins just by their thinking of them. Whereas the waters of the Ganges purify only by contact and direct service. So that's um, three verses. And now we're going to go one by one through the three verses uh, as presented in the Anuchedas. So we're in the 66th Anucheda. And the first of those three verses uh, is presented there by Jiva as a person engaged in the terrifying state of temporal existence who even out of a sense of sheer helplessness, utters the name of he whom fear itself fears is immediately delivered from that temporal state. Mahar and I have been going back and forth regarding uh, Namatattva for a little bit of correspondence. So uh, the real context, the real understanding of Namatattva is presented especially by Vishwanath in his commentary at the beginning of the, of the uh, sixth canto is, is phenomenal. It's so phenomenal that uh, Sachin Narayan wrote a 90-page booklet just based on that one commentary. He unfluffed it even more because there is a lot of misconception 
regarding the holy name and we really need to put to rest those misconceptions because those misconceptions will lead to offenses to the holy name. Three of those offenses to the holy name are so severe that they can lead to they're actually actually in opposition to Vaishnavism. You can if you commit these offenses you can lose your standing as a Vaishnav. Giving some interpretation, thinking it's imagination, or thinking that it's it's just like any other scriptural presentation of doing one thing and getting a result, karma kanda. These three things are stand in opposition to Vaishnavism. Two of the offenses to the holy name create material suffering for the Vaishnav, offending the Lord's devotees and committing sins on the strength of the holy name. You will suffer for those two offenses. Three offenses, you can lose your standing as a Vaishnav. Two offenses, you're going to suffer for them. And there's scriptural verses that Vishwanath News says you're going to go to hell. If you're if you're offensive to the devotees, or if you commit sinful activity on the strength of chanting, and the other five offenses, well, you don't suffer, but you're prolonging tasting the sweetness of the Lord's holy name if you still commit those offenses. And of course, the remedy to all these offenses is continuing to chant. But the remedy to those three killers of our Vaishnav grounding has to be Sambandhyan. We have to understand the Lord's holy name is not in the potencies and everything that it says in the scripture about how effect, there's no difference between the holy name and Krishna. It immediately grants liberation to whoever chants it, even without their knowing it. That's a big one because here we are as Vaishnavs and we're chanting day in and day out so many you know, rounds and we're like, I'm not getting anywhere. I'm just spinning my wheels. And the scripture's saying one utterance of the holy name and you're, complete, and you're immediately liberated. What the hell am I doing wrong? Well, there's a difference between Ajameel's chanting and your chanting. He wasn't chanting to become a bhakta. He was addressing his son. He was immediately liberated. It doesn't seem to make sense. So understanding Namatattva is very important because then you say, well, I just can't understand. Why aren't I liberated? Well, because you have a different goal. In fact, your goal, your aspiration, the intent of your chanting of the holy name may be so high that you may have to spend many more lifetimes chanting because you want such a high thing. So, Ajameel, hey, the Vishnu Deedas can immediately come and take him to Vaikuntha. But when he saw them, he was remembered, oh yes, I'd also like to enter into a higher, a higher relationship, and he wanted to perfect his chanting. So therefore, he didn't jump on the plane and fly off to Vaikuntha and accept an immediate liberation. So at the, the narration of Ajameel's life, you go, 
wait, well, that means you have to become a devotee to get liberated. No, it doesn't. It doesn't diminish. So it's kind of, you know, you to look at these leelas and understand in depth what's being presented there is extremely important to us. And Vishwanath's commentary there is extremely powerful and extremely illuminating in that regard. And I can only recommend that you read the commentary, that you read, you know, such and Orion's little booklet, and really, so, important stuff. And we can have classes on it if you'd like, if that would help. So, Jiva writes on the first of those verses, the word vivas, vivasa, even out of a sense of sheer helplessness, means even while subjected to a any particular set of external controls and impositions by the particulars of conditioned existence. The compound, Yan Nama, the name of whom, is a reference to the name of Sri Krishna because the names of all the various avatars culminate in his name alone. On account of his being the avataric source, avatari. So, it's a Jiva saying, Oh, and by, we know that Krishna is the source of all the various other avatars. And guess what? All the other names for the Supreme Lord are different manifestations of the name Krishna. So the original name Krishna is the avatari for all the other avataric descents of the name. Vamana. Varaha, any other name for the Lord, it's all coming from Krishna. Yeah, Jiva has some insights. <laughs> it is for this reason that the Vishnu Purana asserts that the names of all the various avatars emanate directly from Sri Krishna. The prose text on this point states the individual causes of the names of all the various forms of Bhagavan find their source in him, Krishna, Vishnu Purana 4.15.11. This is to be understood as referring to names such as Vasudev, Damodar, Govinda, and Keshava. The pronoun Tata from that means from the state of temporal existence. The correlative, correlative pronoun Yat on account of which signals the cause of liberation from that state reasoning that it is because fear itself fears his, Krishna's name. That ends Jiva Goswami's commentary <clears throat> here on the 66th Anucheda. Another thing just to re be reinforced that really to fully comprehend the potency of the holy name we have to understand there's no difference between Krishna when he manifests his form and the holy name they both have the same potencies except the holy name is available to us and at our beck and call it seems all those who's chanting who, that changes as our time goes on in chanting. But still, that's a profound understanding. All the potencies, 
that are you would have if you were in Krishna's direct manifest present presence are there when you chant his holy name. And the only reason you're not directly experiencing all those potencies is because there's some residue of anarthas, some impressions of enjoyments that are still there, of asanas are still there, or actually operats committed. So just keep chanting and those will all evaporate sooner or later. Sooner rather than later is better. Uh, we'll start a little bit of this etichette. It's very glorious, very beautiful. And uh, because it's so, it contains so much nectar, then we'll start with it next class. That'll be good for us. So Jiva Goswami continues now in his 67th Anacheta. First he translates the verse from the first canto, end of the first canto of the Bhagavatam, Sutta. The sages who are established in the state of unwavering mental fixity, Sama, have taken complete refuge of his Sri Krishna's feet. The sages who have taken that shelter immediately purify anyone simply on being contacted. As potent as the holy name is, Krishna's fully surrendered devotees are as potent. How potent? Well, you would think that the liquid form of the Lord, the Ganges, would be if you could bathe in that, I mean, how, how, how potent is that? Not as potent as the sages' association. Whereas the water of the celestial river purifies only through repeated use. You've got to bathe in the Ganges again and again. If you come into the presence of Krishna's unalloyed devotee just once, you're immediately purified is what is being said here in the beginning of the Bhagavatam. Jiva Goswami explains it in this way. The pronoun yat, whose, refers once again to Sri Krishna. The compound yat pada samshraya means those who have taken complete refuge of Krishna's feet. Having done so, they are thus established in the state of unwavering mental fixity. The word sama, peace, means fixity of the intelligence in Bhagavan, as confirmed by Bhagavan Sri Krishna. Sama means fixity of the intelligence in me. And that's a quote from the 11th canto that Jiva's used there in uh, Krishna's discussion with Uddhava. This state alone is the supreme Prakasta, peace, sama, prasama. Sama is peacefulness. Prasama is the height of peacefulness. Because of its relation with Sri Krishna, who is directly the complete Bhagavan, the word prasama-yanaha stands for those whose path or refuge, ayana, is prasama alone, 
In other words, they're that's all they that's all they live for is Krishna. There's nothing else. They have no other intent in their existence. So that's called pure unalloyed, no alloy, no mixture with anything else, devotional service. The state of supreme mental fixity in Bhagavan. This referred to, to sages like Sukadev, whose hearts, chitta, are captivated by the aesthetic relish, rasa, of Sri Krishna's leelas. Once gone there, for someone at that state of complete fixity in the leela of Krishna, nothing's going to drag them away from that. We're lucky when they tumble down to the mudjim platform and utter a few words to us in a vocabulary that we can relate to. But as we can see that that vocabulary can't, can hardly convey in our language what it's all about. I mean, how do we even comprehend a statement like we just shared with you from Vishwanath that they close their eyes for a moment and millions of years of time was compressed and they enjoyed unlimited rasa in rasa dance with Krishna, drinking honey liquor and uh, bathing and uh, what were the other things? Singing. Singing in, in a moment, a moment of closing their eyes. I was thinking about that. Maybe you can try this. It really helped me this morning. I was thinking, as you're chanting, just think, close your eyes and just chant and think, Krishna is fully compressed in the names you're chanting. All of that rasa, all of that is compressed. So if you just concentrate as Uddhava, speaking on behalf of Krishna, requested the gopis to concentrate when they closed their eyes, as the gopis, as the gopas had been relieved of the, of the fire, the forest fire, their, their fire of separation was completely relieved by that entrance into that. So, well, even that word that you just used, concentrate, is kind of like a compressing. Yeah. So the act of concentrating results in the act of compressing. Good. Any questions? Thank you so much for your association. Thank you.